in the bathroom, I had a Glock in my hand. I know exactly what model it was, a Glock 43, nine millimeter. And I remember looking myself in the mirror and all that, what I saw, it, it's kind of like that picture of you see someone else in, in a movie, you see a, a man look at another man and you know, he's about to kill him. Yeah. That is how I was looking at myself in that moment. Wow. And I felt God in that moment in a way that I had never experienced him before. It wasn't something I heard audibly. It, it was like this reverberation in my body. It was like in a moment, all I could feel was love. Mm. That's the simplest way for me to say it. And I heard very distinctly a few different things. I heard God say, David, I love you but I can't fix this for you. Hey, this is a quick shout out from one of our awesome sponsors. Check this out. Thank you to Tracy down at Tranquil Turn Massage in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Look, my wife and I, we see Tracy and her team every single month for a couple's massage, and it is the best thing. Tracy is a master massage specialist and a Hanu Ashiatsu trainer. You need to reach out to Tracy and her team. Make sure that you tell them that I sent you, and you'll get 25 bucks off your next massage. Also, while you're there, check out CDA Brows, Body, and Ink. Make sure to tell Tracy that I sent you, and you'll save 100 bucks on your next Tattoo Brows and Plasma Tightening Services. David, you're a husband, you're a father, you're the founder of Ardent Man, you're a coach. You, you shared the stage with Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, Debbie, uh, Demi Tebow. You also, you're also a consultant for seven, eight, and nine-figure brands. Man, thank you so much for your time today, dude. Eric, it's an honor to be here, brother. Let's, uh, let's jam, man. <laughs> I, I love to kick the show off by going back a bit. You grew up on a farm in Kansas. Like, what was childhood like for you? Man, childhood, uh, if you've ever watched the Andy Griffith show, I was basically Opie Taylor, man. I had a fishing okay. pole on one shoulder, BB <laughs> gun on the other shoulder, causing trouble, going out in the Come fields. On. And um, <clears throat> it was a beautiful childhood. Uh, I think it's probably similar to most people. When you're growing up, you don't really have models or references to know whether you have a good or bad childhood. It's just your experience of life. And so it wasn't totally. until I got much older that I started to recognize there was some stuff that went down that definitely affected my development. But uh, at the time, it, it, it felt like a beautiful childhood. I got to my grandparents had about 100 acres. They lived on about five. We lived on five. My cousins lived on five. It was very communal oriented Come every on. Sunday over at grandma's house for lunch or for dinner. And it was um, it was really cool because being in the Midwest, I, I realized that there was a lot of things that were instilled into me just from the culture and, and being in that environment that were really powerful and really useful. But as I'm sure most people understand as well, there's a lot of things that you you grow up and then you realize, oh, okay, there's some things I should probably undo. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come, <been> on. Done. <laughs> Come on. So, so true, man. So true. I didn't realize how crazy my child, my childhood was until I got out of it. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, I spent 10 years of just chaos between 13 and 23 and I mean, just, just nutty stuff, man. I was like, I don't think people actually live their life the way that I grew up, man. Like, you know, yeah. one of those things. <laughs> you, uh, as I was reading through your story, you battled depression. And then at one point you even nearly took your own life, man. You put a gun to your head and then you experienced this divine sort of wake up call. Yeah. Can you deep dive into what happened there? Yeah, Eric. So it's, um, it is the moment that, that I feel like I got a second opportunity on life mm -hmm. and it, it really came to a head because of a series of events, kind of going back to that childhood thing. When, when I was 13, my parents were basically at the end of their marriage and they made a, a decision to move to Florida 
to try and salvage the marriage. We literally moved to a town where we knew one, no one into a subdivision, which was like another universe to me coming from Kansas country sure. farm living to where I can stick my hand out the, the window and touch my neighbor's house. It was culture shock. It was, there were so many things that happened and uh, because of a series of events there, I got programmed from a pretty young age to be all things for all people and to keep myself radically busy. My entire mm. high school career, I was in every single, every single club, every single sport, uh, even in high school working, you know, working when I could, uh, it was, I didn't realize until much later that I was trying to escape something and I didn't know what I was trying to escape. And so when I finally graduated, I'd worked my butt off and I graduated with a full ride academic scholarship and I decided to turn it down. I said, mm. this path isn't for me. I'm not going to college. At that time, most of the people that I associated with that were friends, um, they were four or five years older than me. And every one of them are graduating colleges. I'm graduating high school. And they're like, dude, don't do this unless you know why, unless you know specifically why, do not do this. And so I didn't see it uh, uh, as part of my path, as part of my plan. So I just went straight back into the workforce and I joined an internship program that actually brought me here to South Carolina, which is where I am today. The internship program was uh, had a ministry focus, so I was kind of on track to potentially becoming a pastor. That was the orientation, but the, the internship was really around leadership development, interpersonal communication, strengths, learning yourself. And so those years of, of really 18, 19, 20 on up into my early 20s, it was there was so much going on at the same time that I, I really couldn't think straight. I couldn't see straight. I was just, I was just going through the motions is, is basically mm. what happened. My parents got divorced during that, that time period. They ended up not being able to reconcile things. And so fast forward a few years, I, I ended up basically what I, I wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be successful, like from, from an early age, but I didn't know what that meant. Right. Everyone's got their own definition of success, but I was like, I want to, I want to make good money. I want yeah. to have a great family. I want to be a healthy dude, like just normal stuff, right? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the dream. Like have enough money, have a great family, have lots of sex with your wife, have the beautiful kids, right. <laughs> you know, that whole thing, right? Yeah. And so by the time that I had, um, was in my mid twenties, Eric, I, I made it as far as what I thought I was supposed to achieve. I got the glass corner office, the company car, the six figure salary, I had the house, I had the opportunities. I had success in my company. I was generating millions and millions of dollars a year in sales. I was managing. I ended up going up into senior senior management, managing a team. And that's where I started cutting my teeth on coaching. I started training sales professionals. I started doing uh, a lot of things in a professional capacity that uh, that I felt like were, were trying to fill this, this, this constant and perpetual dissatisfaction. And over the course of, you, you mentioned it, roughly a 10-year period, I had roughly a 10-year period as well, what, which I call the dark ages, where I didn't really, I, I, I didn't have any self-awareness. I was wrapped up in people-pleasing and wearing the masks and playing the games and doing the thing. And from the outside looking in, it's like David Waldy's made it, dude. He's got it. He's got it figured out. And he's in his 20s, man. Like this, this is, he's the man. And inside, Eric, I, I hated every single day. I hated waking up because the only thing that I could think about was I have no reason to be here. I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a father. I'm a failure as a leader. And over the course of time, I had gained about 60 pounds. 
I started working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, bringing work home, working on weekends, trying to just always get to that next level. And now growing up, I didn't have any financial literacy. So I'm making great money and still broke, right? Still broke, right. had no understanding about investing or even simple things like saving and budgeting. And, and I had done all this stuff in the church, Dave Ramsey, you know, I'd read some, uh, uh, Susie Orsman, I think is what her name is. Like some of those books, like learning, trying to learn, but the long and short of it, Eric, is that I came to a point where, uh, or it was really a, a crisis, a series of events. My wife and I suffered a miscarriage. I ended up uh, having a panic attack driving down the interstate going roughly 80 miles an hour, about wrecked and killed myself. Wow. And I ended up in the conference room with the owners of the company that I was working for at the time. I'm sitting across this table. You can kind of imagine, we've probably seen the movie scenes that, that the giant conference room with the big table, right? And the big dogs are on one side and the little guys on the other side. And you know, it's about to go down. I lived that experience being berated, dehumanized, cursed at, talking, like literally the words that came out of their mouth Eric, to me were the only reason you are still in this company is because you are too much of a financial asset and we don't have your replacement right now. Wow. What had happened was, and, and I won't go into too much detail, but basically I had tried to operate as much as I could from a place of character, honesty, integrity, responsibility, accountability, living these things that I had learned back in the day from my mentors, from that, that internship program, trying to embody these things. And so I had come out about some stuff I saw going on behind the scenes in the company and it backfired big time. Yeah. And so with my job on the line, new kiddo at home, these series of events culminated to where I, I literally said, I'm done. I can't live this way anymore. I hate the man that I see in the mirror. I always feel like I'm not good enough. I'm living my life in this extreme self-sacrificial, trying to be everything for everybody else. And I feel taken advantage of, I feel used, I feel abused. And that led me to that divine moment where uh, in the bathroom, I had a Glock in my hand. I know exactly what model it was, a Glock 43, nine millimeter. And I remember looking myself in the mirror and all that, what I saw, it, it's kind of like that picture of you see someone else in, in a movie, you see a, a man look at another man and you know, he's about to kill him. Yeah. That is how I was looking at myself in that moment. Wow. And I felt God in that moment in a way that I had never experienced him before. It wasn't something I heard audibly. It, it was like this reverberation in my body. It was like in a moment, all I could feel was love. That's the simplest way for me to say it. And I heard very distinctly a few different things. I heard God say, David, I love you, but I can't fix this for you. I've given mm -hmm. you a head and a heart, tools. You get to decide. You get to commit. You get to become. I love you. And I am with you. And I am for you. And Eric, that moment, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of what happened and transpired after that, set me on a path that for really the next three to five years, I completely reinvented every part of who I was. I left my corporate career. I went out on a limb. I started to try. I, I built three different companies that failed. I finally got one that succeeded. I formulated a partnership. I ended up getting to speak on stage with Tony Robbins, like some of the stuff you mentioned, do some really cool things with some really cool people. But there was this evolutionary process where I had to take radical ownership of my reality 
by using the head and the heart that God had given me that I had been praying since I was a kid. God, if you love me, tell me why the hell I'm here. Mm. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Jesus, fix it. And I had not taken that ownership and responsibility and through the help of coaches and mentors and a lot of really radical, scary investment in myself, I reinvented every part of who David Waldy is to the point now when I look back on myself, I don't even recognize that man. Mm. Wow, man, that is so powerful, dude. Thank you for sharing that, that story, dude. That is, I, I love when guests can come on and just be real. And, and man, to tell, to tell that story, there's so many people that got impacted just now. Thank you for sharing that for you. You mentioned like you were kind of getting your teeth wet with, you know, um, personal development and getting into that space there. Yeah. Was there someone that drove you into personal development or inspired you to go <laughs> that route? 100% man. This was, uh, and I'll keep this one brief, but it, it was one, it was an individual who actually went to my church she approached me and she said, uh, she's, I didn't realize this at the time, but she, if I mentioned the company that she worked for, literally everyone on this podcast would know the name of this business. This is a multi, multi, multi hundred billion dollar organization. Wow. She was the executive coach to the board of directors. I had no idea. She came to me and she, her words to me were, David, I know that there's so much more in you. And if I can help, I'd love to help. I'm like, I don't know how you can help. Like, I kind of hate myself right now. What the hell? <laughs> you know, sure. I've always yeah. felt like I was called to do something great or whatever that everyone thinks, but it's obviously not happening. And she said, I'm building out this coaching program that I have to present to the board of directors for approval. And it's going to end up being a $300,000 coaching program. And I said, say what? I'm sorry. What kind of coaching are you? What is coaching? Right. What, <laughs> yeah. what are you even talking? About? I'm thinking like baseball coach, you know, soccer sure. coach, whatever. And right. she said, but I need five case studies and I would be honored if you would be one of those case studies, but you have to commit to six months with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And during that process, Eric, what I learned was that although I had started cutting my teeth in coaching and in consulting in, in the business world and helping sales, marketing, operations, systems, all that, which really for anyone, there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening. Like, you know, that world, you know, it, it's not that complicated. Business is, is, is really just number systems processes, right? And the people are the only thing that make it complicated. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. But when it comes to the chaos of the head and the heart, which is what led to the work that I do today, there was so much chaos in my head and my heart that I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what, what meaning felt like. I, there was no passion for life. Uh, every single day I would wake up and the thoughts would just be, I mean, anyone that has a racing mind can understand that you wake up and you can't turn it off. You cannot turn it off. So radical levels of emotional dysregulation, stress manifesting in my body in the form of disease and sickness and constant pressure, tension, back legs, like the whole nine yards. And there was a point where we sat down, this is at a little Mediterranean restaurant. And she asked me a question that I had never actually processed before. The first question she said was, what do you want? And I was like, that's not vague. Thanks a lot, jerk. How the hell do I do <laughs> right? that? I was like, this goes, what do you want? Come I'm on. like, for lunch, right? Yeah. And she, she leaned back and she looked across the table and she said, she said, David, who do you want to become? Mm. And Eric, in that moment, brother, there was something that came out of me that wasn't, if you've ever had those experiences where you say something, you don't, you didn't consciously say it. It just came out of you. It was like this reactionary thing. And the words that immediately came out of my mouth when she said that were, I'm not allowed to define that. 
And when I heard myself say it, like it caught me in my tracks because I was like, there's a part of me that believes this to my core. I am not allowed to define who I want to become. And what I realized through a series of events and especially about her coaching working with me is that I learned that, and this is probably one of the most powerful concepts I've ever learned, is that the quality of our life is not determined by the answers that we have. You can be the smartest person on the planet. That's fine. You can be the most fit. You can have the best marriage. You can have all the success stuff. But the quality of your life comes down to feelings. Mm -hmm. And when you can learn to master those feelings, your experience of life changes. And the way to master those feelings is by learning to ask better questions. So that question that she asked me, it set in motion this series of events where as we were working together and then moving forward, as I expanded and started, I, I, I made this transition and it was, it was a huge, like twofold transition. Number one, I decided to reinvent myself, reclaim my family, rediscover what it meant to be a man, like to, to try and understand why I'm here. Simultaneously, I quit my job. Okay. Which for anyone that anyone listening that's an entrepreneur, you know how freaking terrifying that can be when you have, there's no stability, right? And totally. so we ended up blowing through all of our savings. First couple of business ideas completely flopped. I got 10 months behind on my mortgage. I was living in perpetual fight or flight panic state. And so if you know, if we know anything about survival state and scarcity mindset, victim mentality and all this kind of stuff, try coupling that with a, a process of trying to become a different human being when you're trapped in that world. So I had this constant every single day was war hmm. fighting against these limiting beliefs, these thoughts, these feelings, and starting to ask myself different questions and open myself to different questions. And because of her willingness to believe in me and to sit down and ask me questions I had never asked myself, questions that I don't think many people would even have the courage to ask another person, like very direct pointed questions. It caused me to start to fall in love with the past that I had hated and resented and see how despite all of the evil and the trauma and the things that had happened, and because there's some stuff we, I know we won't have time to go into today, but emotional abuse, sexual abuse, things that people should not ever have to endure and experience. I started to see them through a different lens. Hmm. I started to realize that these things, these skills and gifts, and even the negative or the bad or the evil stuff that happened, God was redeeming in my life. And these things were becoming tremendous gifts and skills that I could utilize to help other people. And so that process, it was really like a three, almost four year process of pain, of difficulty, of wanting to like talk about being at the point where you're like, I'm done, I'm giving up, I'm going to pull it in a bullet in my head to four years of it not getting any better. Yeah. Wow. You're doing all the work, doing all the things, listening to all the motivational stuff online, watching the Ed Milets and Tony Robbins of the world, listening to Eric Allen on your freaking podcast and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to change my life. But I did not understand until now that in order for us, and I think that this is a, this is a powerful word, but there are so many people devaluing it in culture today is to heal. Hmm. Yeah. To truly heal by being able to look myself in the mirror and to ask myself the questions that I was terrified to ask and to come to terms with so much of my reality. 
it led to this, this process that I, I now call fierce empathy. My yeah. top five strengths are empathy, connectedness, inclusivity, adaptability, and input. I'm all about relationships. And Come as on. a guy, especially growing up, like these are girly things, dude. I don't want these. I want to be a man. Like, give me something like motivator, right? Give me something like, you know, you know. yeah. And, and so I stopped resenting who I was and who I had been. And I started to pick the good out from the bad and start to systemize things in a way that could help not only entrepreneurs, but particularly men as well to come to terms with the permission that they have to give themselves to define who they want to become and then creating a clear path and a clear plan and executing regardless of how they feel. Mm. Come on. First of all, man, I got to say, I'm proud of you for making the choices that you've made in your life to get to where you're at today, for hearing God's voice, for making those choices to better your marriage, to be a better husband and a father, man. Like what an amazing impact that you're making on your wife and your kid, man. So I just want to say, man, I'm proud of you. You you do talk about fierce empathy and you've got these four pillars, Mm -hmm. clarity, constructs, commitments, and consistency. I know we're right at kind of the getting close to the end of time here, but why those four, why are those the most important? So clarity first and foremost is that most people, and, and I find this to be especially true in men is, is that they don't have clarity. They don't know what they want. They don't know why they want whatever they think they want. And they have, no idea who they want to become. You ask just about any man, every, any average man, he can tell you everything he doesn't want, but that's it. He can't tell you what he really wants. He can't tell you the father he wants to be. He can't tell you the husband he wants to be. He can't give you very clear, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant time-based goals for his life in his health, in his relationships and all these areas. And so clarity is you have to start from a place of defining a name. This goes back to Napoleon Hill. You look at all of the, all the greats over the last hundred years talking about personal development, right? Define a name. You have to define that aim. And so when you can define the aim, and this is where constructs come in, constructs is understanding how we've constructed and been programmed, the constructs in our mind, our belief system, our thinking patterns, the things that we do by default, the habits that we run every single day without thinking about it, which led me into this deep dive around neuroscience and creating new neural pathways, transforming the mind. I love how scripture talks about that. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say your heart. It doesn't say your spirit. It says your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so these constructs, once you have clarity, you start challenging why you are the way that you are. You start creating alignment, which is another buzzword that I don't think most people understand because they're just aligning with how they feel that day. If you can grab a hold of a vision and say, this is the man that I'm going to be. This is the woman that I'm going to be. Now it doesn't matter how I feel. It's a very simple yes or no. Is this aligned with who I said that I would be? Yes or no. And the challenge in that, those constructs, what you have to then do is you have to then look at your actual commitments, right? What are you committed to that you're not willing to give up in order to become that? Hmm. What have you made these contracts with? Even subconsciously, you said, I'm committed, right? Because everyone talks about like, you know, they struggle with consistency and all these things like, yeah, I just have a hard time staying consistent. No, you don't. You're consistently inconsistent, which proves you're consistent (laughs) at something. Totally. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so when you have clarity, right, 
and you start looking at your constructs. You start looking at, okay, where, where am I actually committed in my life? Like, what are the commitments I, I need to let go of that I've been holding on to? And what are the commitments that I need to make to myself and to the people that I love, right? That's one of the biggest things is your commitments is saying, I, and I, I don't remember who said this, but there's no such thing as 99% committed. It's a complete disrespect and a misunderstanding of the word. To be committed, you are either committed or you're not. You can't be 99% faithful to your wife. It's an impossibility. You're either faithful, you're either committed, or you're not. And I think the hard part about this, Eric, is that what I started to discover is that if you're not careful in this process, you start to, to create this perfection fantasy where you don't give yourself permission to be human. Hmm. This isn't about perfection. This isn't about getting it right 100% of the time. This isn't about not having human stuff happen. But it is about this willingness that says no matter what, if I have an off day, like if, <laughs> if my kids keep me up all night, right? If I look at something I shouldn't have looked at on the internet, if I snap at my wife, if I disrespect someone, it's recognizing that, okay, I need to realign with the commitment that I made to be that man, to be that woman. And as you do this, the last variable is consistency. In order yeah. to create new neural pathways in the brain, which uh, neural, the reason those are important is because every one of those neural pathways from our subconscious mind governs what we do. We make all like 80, I think it's 80 to 90% of our decisions are not conscious decisions. We don't think about them. We just mm. do them. Right. Yeah. And so if you want to create different results, you have to follow and trace that all the way back to what's the core issue and the core issue for most people. If you so let's just start with results, right? Your results are because of your actions. Your actions are because of your feelings. Your feelings are because of your thoughts and your thoughts are because of what you believe. So you start working your way back through this thing. That's why constructs is such a big, important part. You assess your beliefs, your thinking patterns. You start to look at these things and you consistently commit to doing what you don't feel like doing. You literally rewire the brain. And there's two ways that this happens, Eric. You're probably familiar with these. And I, I, I like to call them two different ways. There's voluntary pain and involuntary pain. Involuntary pain is the wake up call. You get a call from the doctor, you experience a car accident, you find out your kid has cancer, your wife leaves you. That is not something you signed up for and it's stuff you have to navigate and it immediately makes you reassess and change. Mm -hmm. But the alternative way is a way that we've been given this beautiful gift. If you look at so much of like, especially I love Eastern culture and you look at, you look at uh, uh, like uh, martial arts, you look at everything to do with discipline and consistency and doing stuff that you don't feel like doing. When you submit yourself to a process of regulated suffering, you go to the gym and you tear the muscles in your body. You punch a beam over and over and you create micro fractures in your, in your fist. You become stronger, you become more resilient, you develop new things and it's the same thing with the mind is that we have to be willing to submit ourselves to a process of doing the very things that we don't feel like doing for long enough. This starts out as discipline but that discipline eventually becomes devotion. And when it's become devotion, it's something you don't have to think about anymore. I know you're a devoted man just by looking at you, Eric. This morning was a great example for me. I, I went to the gym this morning. I didn't even think about it. I don't think about it anymore. I used to hate it and yeah. I had to discipline myself. And so that's those four pillars, 
when you apply them to your life and you, you're patient and you're kind with yourself, but you don't make excuses, you don't justify, which sometimes means you, you need radical accountability from worthy men or from a worthy, if you're ladies, <laughs> from a lady, from someone who will hold you to the standard that you said that you would live up to. And if you don't, they either give you a hug or a kick in the ass, one of the two, depending on what's needed. Come on. Because it's not always what we see on social media. Sometimes it's you need to hold space for other people. And if you need that in your life, that is where, Eric, I know you're like this. This is where people like Eric, for those listening, you need someone like an Eric Allen in your life that will give you direction, that will help you accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. There's a lot of you listening right now. And Eric, we were talking about this beforehand. You've been listening to Eric talk about getting your podcast and getting your message and getting your mission out there, but you keep getting in your own way. It's because we have this tendency, especially as men, to have all the right answers for everybody else, but not for ourselves. And until you willingly submit yourself to a healthy level of accountability with someone with shared values that is doing the thing that you want to do, you will find it immeasurably difficult to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. But when you decide, you commit, and you become with consistency, you start to recognize that these areas of your life, as long as you stay committed, and consistent. You will not recognize yourself if you're patient, if you're kind, if you forgive yourself, if you if you allow yourself to make mistakes. And that's where this all starts. You have to start with fierce empathy for yourself if you are going to understand the world around you and better relate to it. And the last thing, I'll give you a one-liner, Eric, that I think you'll love. This is one of my favorite one-liners. We understand when we first understand that we don't fully understand. Say that again. We understand, let me say it a few, few different ways. We understand or we begin to understand Yeah. when we understand mm. that we don't fully understand. Come on. And basically that's a way of saying like, if you, think that you have to have this all figured out and you have to have all the right answers for yourself and you've got to be stoic and, and you've got to be all things for all people and you've got to, and you don't need help. You are, you are in dangerous, dangerous waters. We have to first recognize that I need other perspectives. I need other people's understanding. If I'm going to grow and expound and learn and develop, I have to be willing to submit to people like Eric and worthy brothers who will call me up to that standard so I can better understand because to say that my perspective is right 100% of the time is one of the deepest and grossest forms of arrogance. Man, David, I'll tell you, man, I feel like I could just go run through a wall right now based off of what you just said, dude. I am. Me I'm, too. Let's go do it, bro. Let's go. <laughs> I'm fired up, brother. That was so good, dude. That was so excellent, man. Thank you for sharing that with myself, my audience, man. Like, I just want you to know, like, you're an absolute world changer, dude. Like the things that you say are so impactful, man. Thank you for, for coming on the show. Uh, man, thank you for spending extra time with me today, dude. I just want you to know you're an absolute world changer, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Brother, it was an absolute honor. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for the work that you do, my friend. Thank you so much for checking out the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope that my guest was able to bring you some amazing wisdom and knowledge to help you continue to fight for your goals, your dreams, and your purpose. If you could do me one big favor and just hit that subscribe button, I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. 
keep changing the world. I believe in you. Have an amazing day.